Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to speak to you from the subject, Jesus, the high and lifted up. Jesus, the high and lifted up. We have been in a six-month-long series about Jesus, and our goal is to look at the life of Jesus and the ministry and the works of Jesus and to evaluate our life and our ministry and our works in light of him. Our hope, our goal is to become more like Jesus. And so that's why we are reading and hearing and examining his life. And I want to read to you a uh, kind of an interesting story today. And you're going to have to kind of stick with me because it will all make sense in the end, but it will start a little strange. Will you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers? The book of Numbers, uh, chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. Go ahead, grab that and turn with me to the book of Numbers. We're going to read verses 4 through 9 together. It's found Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, then Numbers. And this is, an, uh, this is a kind of a, I would call it a strange story, but it has great significance. And I believe God's going to kind of open it up and reveal the treasure of Scripture to us as we peer deeply into his word and see what God has to say. Book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses, let's begin in verse 4. And the Bible says this, From Mount Hor they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. We're talking about the people of Israel. They've been in the wilderness for 38 years. They're coming to the end uh, of their wandering and coming close to the promised land. And they wanted to take a direct route through Edom, but they were not given permission. So they have to take the long way around. And the people, the Bible says, became impatient on the way. That's understandable because you've been walking in the wilderness for 38 years. But here's where the problem began. Verse five, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. What I like about this verse is that they make an accusation and then immediately contradict their point like in four words later. We've got no food, and we don't like this food. <laughs> it's like, choose one, you know? And they, we loathe this worthless food. It sounds like, ah, you know? And they're talking about manna, magical bread from heaven. And so they're complaining. No food, no water. Well, they do have water miraculously from a rock. And we loathe this worthless food. So, so what is that? That's just complaining. You know how you elevate your problems when you're complaining? Verse six, this is God's response. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. 
I want to read you. I, I, I love the feeling in this room. Everyone's saying, what is happening? <laughs> I want to read you John chapter 3. Maybe it will bring a little bit of light to this. So I'm going to start in verse 13, and then we'll go to 14, 15. Verse thir- John 3, 13 says, No one, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, and he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself. In verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. One more verse I want to read to you. In Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering servant, verse 13 says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance will be so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you were high and lifted up. God, we thank you that you came in the form of man and you endured even the absolute breaking of the cross and the marring of your figure so that you could sprinkle your blood on us. God, we thank you, Jesus, that it was always your plan to rescue us, your children. So Lord, right now we give you uh, this time and this moment and we ask you to speak to us and bring revelation to us and bring life to us. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. Today I wanna talk to you from these stories about how the bite of sin always brings suffering, but the antidote of salvation is found on the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's available to all those who were bitten by sin. Where, Where Satan seeks to bring death, Hear me, Jesus brings life. Jesus brings life. And my hope for you and for the church is that our sinful mistakes will cause us to search for Christ, not hide in pain. That our sinful mistakes will cause us to lift up our eyes to the hills. From there, our help comes from. Our hope is in the Lord. That, that, that our sinful mistakes wouldn't cause us to draw inward or look downward or become sin-obsessed, but that we would become Jesus-focused and that we would become grace-based in our life and in our response. Not, not in what everyone else is doing around you, but in your response to your own failure. What you will do, what we will do, will be to look to the one who's on the cross that has the antidote, that we wouldn't look at the bite of sin, but that we would look to the cross of salvation. This is what's happening in this story in the book of Numbers. You know, granted, it it is a strange story, but I I believe it has great significance even to today. The story begins with, uh, with the people of Israel complaining and disregarding God's provision, God's grace, God's love, God's care, and and this is a pattern for the people of Israel. They've done this so many different times. And, and then the, the Lord sends fiery serpents among the people. And, and it's kind of, it's amazing how sudden it even happens. They're complaining. And then all of a sudden they say like, whoa, whoa, who, who bit me? What? And it's like this sudden, this sudden interaction that happens because there is a connection between your confession and your covering. 
And that, that's, that's where this all needs to start, is you have to understand that there is a connection between your confession and your covering. The people of Israel began to confess another God. They began to complain. They began to disregard. Their confession really became anti-God and anti-Moses and pro-Pharaoh. They wanted to go back to the old days, back to the place of sin. And through their confession, they threw off their God covering. And so God allowed into the camp these snakes. And I researched these snakes, even though the last thing I wanna do for any sermon or in life in general is look at snakes. And I took this risk for you, so you better amen a lot because I'm, I'm, I'm nervous in general. Me and Indiana Jones, we agree, we hate snakes. And these snakes that are in, in that area, the Gulf of Aqaba, right around uh, the Red Sea, these snakes, first off, they have horns, go figure. Secondly is they move 18 miles an hour sideways. They, they don't even go straight, they go sideways, which is horrifying. They're called sidewinders, and, and they... they the, 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 the video I watched is like, they make an imprint like a man's foot, and it's like, this couldn't be worse. And they, they run at their prey, but the, the main way they get their prey, this is unbelievable, is that they, they will bury themselves in the sand, deep into the sand, and shake the sand all around so you don't know that they're there until you step on them, and then you get bit. And what's interesting, these snakes, I mean, these snakes were in the wilderness the entire time. Israel's been there for 38 years, no bites. 38 years. The Bible actually says the Lord kept them from the snakes and the scorpions, which I think is a promise that we should all just receive for our lives. <laughs> Amen. But when their confession came against God, they threw the covering of God off them. And God said, okay, well, then you want to do this on your own? This is what's in the wilderness. We got 38 years of snakes to make up for. This is what it looks like to be on your own. I feel like I, I, I experienced this in a very, very small measure on, on Friday afternoon. My wife and I, we decided to go out. It was our day off, and, and we thought we would, uh, we would, you know, we would grab lunch. So I thought we would go to the usual places. And I'm not going to tell you where they are, because then you'll be looking for me there. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you ever see me, I'd love to see you. But I'm still not telling you. Um, <laughs> So I dress for tacos, you know, because it's Friday afternoon. I'm wearing my ripped jeans and, and I got my hoodie on and everything. Well, my wife surprised me halfway through. We're not going to tacos. We're going to go to the most expensive restaurant in the world. <laughs> the nicest, classiest restaurant. Why? Because we had a gift card, you know? <laughs> you don't go to these places unless you have a gift card, you know, or your boss is buying. That's the only reason you go there and you get lobster. And so, we showed up at this place, and I'm nervous. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm underdressed. I got this giant hole in my jeans, you know? And, and I'm embarrassed to wear these jeans in general, you know? But they're so comfortable. It, that I, they're my favorite jeans, and every time I put my foot in them, I, the, the hole gets bigger. You know, you know the problems of life. And so anyways, I, I feel mortified even walking in there. I'm wearing a hoodie, and I'm thinking, like, Samantha, like, they are, they're not going to let me in. You know, I, I, I look like uh, homeless, you know, without a doubt. But then I thought, or I look like I work for Google, and I run an app. <laughs> they don't know. You know, I might be, you know, they, I might be Zuckerberg's cousin or something. They don't know. And so 
So we go in and they let us in and it's, it's, oh, it's a classy joint and they're playing Sinatra and it's awesome. They bring us to this corner and we're all alone and we're, we're eating lunch and uh, it's so far, it's as close to heaven as you could get. And I go to look at my phone and as I'm looking down, I see something scurry by me. Like a blur. And instantly my instinct animal brain says, get out of here. And I'm, I, I can't help it, I'm not gonna lie, I jump my legs up, up on, on the sea, I won't make the sound that I'm making because only dogs can hear it, but I, and I try and, and I, I try and warn my wife. I said, Samantha, Samantha, li- be calm, calm down, be calm, lift your legs up, get your legs up. Why? Because my greatest fear that this thing's gonna run up my pant leg. Thank God I'm wearing holy jeans. <laughs> you know? I don't know what this is. Is it a massive spider? Is it some sort of, you know, uh, scientific snail? It, it, it's a, but I know what it is. In my heart of hearts, I know this is a mouse. It's ratatouille made its way in. And, uh, and Samantha's playing it all cool. She doesn't see it, you know? So she's like, what? No, it's no big deal. And I'm, I'm not, you know? I'm like, okay, uh, you know, like, uh, okay, all right, so, you know, you, you, you just want to be sitting here? You just want to stay, you know? And the, the waiter comes over at that moment, of course, because there's a commotion. He goes, like, is everything okay over here? And I said, Gaston, sir, uh, something's, something's going on, and it's not good. And he's like, well, would you, you know? And I'm like, you know, uh, uh, this is an issue. And so he's like, well, I'll give you a free dessert. And it's like, you know, that's not enough, to be honest. <laughs> but anyways, we stay there. We stay there, and, and, uh, and I'm just sweating. And until finally my wife sees our, our furry little friend in the corner, and then she jumps up and she says, we're getting out of here. <laughs> so as a family, we made a decision to go as one. Went to another booth, you know, on the other side of the restaurant, which even that wasn't far enough for me, you know. And the, the waiter comes over and he says, um, he says, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that this happened and, and everything. And he goes, you know, here's your... Uh, free dessert, it was like this big, here's your free dessert. I'm not complaining, you know? And, uh, and he goes, you know, but, sorry, that, it, the, the reason that thing came in is because, you know, it's good weather and we've been opening the doors, you know, to the patio. And he says, you know, so sometimes, you know, this happens. It hasn't happened this year, but it's happened. And it's like, hey, don't, don't tell people that, that this is a frequent <laughs> yearly event that, that you're just good with, you know? Don't, I didn't need to know that, you know? And, uh, and, you know, and so that was our day. But I thought what was interesting was, uh, was that, you know, what he said about, you know, the doors being open. When the doors open, what's outside gets inside. What should not be in this restaurant gets into this restaurant because of open doors. And the reality is, if you're not careful, you will open doors in your life in many different ways, but specifically with your confession, and when you do that, things that should not be in your life can, get, can scurry right in. When they began to complain against, against Moses, and when they began to complain against God, the people of Israel, with the contract of their words, opened the doors so the outside, the wilderness, could get into the camp. What should not have access, what should not have authority, now has free reign. Why? Because your confession changed. And, and as you spoke, there's like a verbal contract. And so I don't, I don't say this to make you superstitious about your words. 
but I do want to make you a little stitious about your words. I'd like to make you intentional about your words. Because the reality is your words open doors, they close doors. God says, I'll give you the power to bind and loose. They, they give you the ability to make contracts or, or, or break contracts. And, and if you're not careful, the confession of your mouth and, the, and the, even the everyday complaints can open doors to let the serpent in. In their case, it wasn't a mouse. It was a serpent. And how did it get in? Well, the same way it got it in the garden. It came in through their words, came in through their confession. It came in through their language. And, 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 uh, and, and so this is, a, this is an obvious issue right off the bat. And, and I say that to say, you know, don't think your complaining is a little thing. You know, complaint. Some of our, some of our default confession is just complaint, you know, and, and maybe this isn't something you struggle with, but I would say this is something I struggle with. My default confession is to find what's wrong, you know? And I think that's even the sin of, of man. It's the temptation of man. It's just to complain of, of what? Even of good things. Like, they're, they're getting free food from heaven that they didn't have to work for. That's good. But yet, if you're not careful, you can have this mentality. Good, but not good enough. Good, but not good enough. It's good. It's food, but we're sick of this food. You know, it's provision, but it's not enough. And if you're not careful, this can become the default of just how you speak. It's the opposite of faith. It's complaint. Good, but not good enough. You've got a car, but it's not a BMW, you know? You've got a job, but it's not a corner office. And your boss isn't Jesus. And you've got some issues. And I even hear a lot of times with young people, like they get job offers and they think, well, I don't want that job. I want the best job humanly possible because I saw someone have it on TikTok at 17. And you're like, you know, that's a good, not good enough. Instead of thanking God for the provision that you have and showing your character and showing your work and working hard and showing up and let God give something, give, give God something to bless. Instead of saying, you know what, it's not perfection, so I'm out. Good, not good enough. If you're not careful, you can, your marriage can break apart because of this simple thing. Good, but not good enough because there's always someone else. There's someone over there, someone better, another, another option. And if you're not careful, you can open doors. And this is, what, this is what God even said to Cain. He says, hey, listen, I see what you're doing. Be very careful because sin is crouching at your door. It's a serpent. It desires to have you. So what must you do? You gotta close those doors. Keep those areas on guard in your life because if not, you will cast off the covering. And so that's my challenge to you today is to, to evaluate your confession. Is it content? And is it, is, it, um, is it purposefully content? Or is it default complaint? Because the people of Israel, they got into this whole situation. Why? Simply because of a poor confession. And it escalates very quickly. What happens out of their confession? Well, the snakes get in. And, and here's the truth. Satan is always looking for an open door in your life. He's always looking for an open door. And if you can find it through your words, he'll take that. He'll present those verbal contracts before God. But if you can find it in any other area, he will seek it out. And he will search for an open door. And we know what the serpent represents. The serpent always represents sin throughout Scripture. It always represents Satan. And the bite always leads to death. And we know the Bible says the wages of sin, the consequences, the fulfillment of sin is always death. 
And so when the serpent can get into your life, his goal is to bite you in an area, bite you with sin, bite you with, with uh, tragedy, and have that germinate, cultivate into eventual death. And, and here's what I want you to know. Please, make sure you get this. Whether you're in the garden or whether you're in the wilderness, there will always be snakes seeking to strike. Because I think sometimes we think if I just change where I am, I'll be protected. Or I'll just, if I just homeschool my children, they won't have to deal with the, the serpents. Or, if, I, or if, I just, if I'm in church or if I'm a Christian, then I'm, by default, I'm good. I'm safe. But the reality is whether you're in the garden or whether you're in the wilderness, there will always be snakes you have to contend with. And they're searching for an area to strike you. And you have to be on guard and you have to have faith be your confession and your confession be Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many young people ask me to pray for them for, uh, for them to not be tempted anymore. They'll, they'll come to the altar, which I think is a phenomenal thing, and then they'll ask me, hey, can you just pray that I won't be tempted? And it's like, of course I can't pray that because temptation is a byproduct of free will that you can choose. So I'm not gonna pray against free will Free will is the most amazing thing God gave us. But what I will pray is that you will have your confession be strong, that you'll have the shield of faith which will quench the fiery darts of the enemy, that you'll get, grow strong in your mind, strong in your will, strong in your uh, emotion, and that when you fall short, you confess that also, and that it leads you to Christ. James even says this. He says, James essentially says confession unlocks healing. And so you got to watch your confession. It's powerful. It can open doors, but it can close doors. It can open doors to the snake, but hear me, it can open doors to healing. And, and this is where the people of Israel do get this right. When the snakes came, they instantly made an acknowledgement of where they went wrong. They come to Moses and they said, we have sinned. They didn't make any excuses. They didn't try and justify and try to get out of it. They didn't blame shift. They acknowledge, we know where the open door was. We know why all of this is happening. We have sinned. And so hear me, this confession from a contrite heart begins to close the door on the enemy and opens the door to healing. It's powerful. It's powerful on both sides. We have sinned and we need a mediator. We need someone to go to God for us. So they came to Moses, almost 80 years old at this time, and they said, again, we need for you to go before God and pray for us because the reality is mankind needs a mediator. If God does not intervene, everyone dies. The snake is gonna get everyone in that camp. Everyone's gonna be bitten and everybody's gonna die. And, and, and the, the consequence even of being bitten by the, it's called the snake of sin, is suffering, is shame, sickness. When you're bit by a, a snake, the first thing that happens is that area goes numb. Then it gets into the bloodstream. You begin to be delirious, dizzy, stumble, go into a coma, and then you die. That's what happens when you're bitten by sin. First, you go numb in that area. Then it gets into the bloodstream, begins to affect all other areas. You become delusional. You start thinking and saying things that aren't even logical. And sometimes we're on the, out, out, on the outside, sometimes even in Christianity, saying like, these people make no sense. They're delusional. And it's like, yeah, that's the bite of sin. It, it makes you believe things that are ridiculous, but eventually it leads to a coma and leads to death, someone has to intervene. Someone has to come with an antidote. Someone has to come and, and cycle, exchange, renew the blood. There has to be a mediator. 
So Moses goes before God and he prays and, and God says it a pretty incredible thing to Moses. He gives him these instructions that essentially the serpent will save. He's, the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So God uses the image of the thing that brought death to bring life. He, he redeems the image. He changes the equation. What a juxtaposition. What a contrast. It's a, a powerful thing is going on here. And I would even add mysterious because this is odd. This is strange. Why is the antidote the image of a serpent? Seems like it would be the opposite of that. But this image, the symbol was instructed by God and it's, and it's powerful. You know, it's so powerful that now, 4,000 years later, if you are sick, you'll look on that image. It will show up on every ambulance. It's, it's, it's on in every hospital. The snake wrapped around the pole, it came from this moment through Greek mythology down to today. That's how powerful this, this, this story is, that thousands of years later, it's still in our atmosphere that when you're sick, you look upon this image. Something very powerful about it. Well, then what does it mean? How do we understand it? Well, to do that, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the Garden of Eden, where the Bible says God made man, Adam and Eve, in his image, and likeness. Bible says male and female, he made them. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God made man, hear me, in his image. Now I'm gonna start connecting these two things. What did he say to Moses? Make an image of the serpent. And then what, what does God do with Adam? He makes man in, in his image. This, hear me, is why Satan hates you so much. It's because you are made in the image of the Almighty. It's why he hated Adam and Eve. It's why he hates you. And it's why God loves you so much, because you, are, you look like him. You know, that's why you love your kids so much. It's like, hey, this one looks like me. Look at you. Come here. You look good. And you look at your kids, you see a little bit of you staring back. That's what God sees when he looks at you. From heaven, he sees, it's like there is a photocopy of him hit down here on earth. You are, you are the imagers of God. This is why idolatry, idolatry is so wrong, because God says, I already made an image. Don't you dare go make another image. I set my image on you. And this is a powerful status, by the way. The angels don't have the image of God. The animals don't have the image of God. The cosmos don't have the image of God. Only you have the image of God. His imprint, his hand is on you. And when Satan sees you, he's reminded of him. That's why he hates you. I hope this helps make some sense of why sometimes life is difficult because there is a battle over you because you're the proxy for him. If Satan can take you out, he hurts him. If he can mock you, he gets to mock him. If he can mar you, he gets to mar him. And so this is why Satan came after Adam and Eve, right? When there's just two images, he says, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna try and pull down those images and therefore destroy God. And, and this, is why, this is why the enemy comes after you and this is why he comes after your children because his desire is really to mock God. And you're just, you're just in the battle. You're just in the way, you know? And, and it's even, I, I, I hope this even makes sense as to why 
why culture is what it is. Because the enemy wants culture to, um, to uh, let, let me put it this way, mar its own image, therefore mar the image of, of, of its creator. You know, this is why Satan wants to get people to mutilate their bodies. This is why Satan wants to get them to change their gender. This is why Satan wants you to have suicidal ideation because if you can kill the body, it, it's, it's murdering the, the divine image, the spark of life, the, the, the walking, talking, breathing ambassador of God on planet earth. This is why Satan hates you. And he hates you because God loves you and you look like him. And so even if you hear those voices in your head that, that by the way, that's, that says something about you is wrong, please know that's never the voice of God, your designer. And therefore, you know the source of the voice. Therefore, you should prescribe the, the, the correct amount of faith and trust in that voice that wants to speak about what's wrong about you. Made in the image and likeness of God. And so that's what Satan wants to pull down. That's what Satan wants, wants to destroy. It's what, what he wants to attack. And we know that in the garden, Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. They were deceived and through them, sin entered through humanity. Hear me, through one man, sin entered all men, all mankind. Because of the sin of one person, now destruction, corruption enters into all mankind. But here's the good news, that God had a plan for this. So God says, I'm gonna become a man. What, what is he saying? He said, I'm going to take on the image that's been corrupted. This was my image. I'm taking it back. It was through this image that the bite of sin, it was through the image of Adam that sin entered the world. But God says, I'm not going to leave this as a win for the serpent. I'm going to take this image back. And so God became man. He took on, the Bible says, human likeness, though he was in the form of God. He did not consider himself equal to God, but instead took on human likeness and dwelled among man. Why? Romans tells us. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It gets better, verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. For the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Death through Adam, life through Christ. So you see, what, you see what God's doing? He's reclaiming our image. And it's the same thing God said to Moses, go reclaim that image. The thing that, the thing that brought death is gonna bring life. Man brought death, but God says, I'm gonna take on human form and I'm gonna bring life. 
man will bring light. Well, this is, a, this is a, an amazing concept. And it's even a little bit difficult to understand. So much so, there's a, there's a time where a great teacher of the law named Nicodemus is speaking to Jesus. And Nicodemus was a rabbi, he was a Pharisee, he was of the lineage of Moses. And he's talking to Jesus about the kingdom of God. He's saying, how do we get, how do we get into the kingdom of God? How are we saved? And Jesus says, you have to have your nature fundamentally changed. You have to be born of the spirit. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is having a hard time understanding how is this possible? How can our fundamental nature be changed? And what does Jesus do? Jesus reminds him of the story of Moses. He says, the son of man must be lifted up. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man. Amazing that he even chose that, that phraseology, man must be lifted up. And so what is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus is essentially, he's telling the ruler of, of the religious class, he's reminding him of this story. He's saying, remember Moses' serpent? That if you looked on it, you were saved from the bite of the serpent? That needs to happen again. But see, this time it wasn't the bite of the serpent, it was the sin of man. So man must be lifted up so that we might look on it and receive salvation. Jesus essentially is saying, I am going to become the bronze serpent for all people, which is kind of a, a wild statement, you know? I wouldn't even make it unless Jesus made it, you know? Because it's almost like, no, 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 Jesus. You can't become that, you know? Like the serpent is venomous and it's vile and it's beneath us. It's, it's beneath God. How could the serpent ever bring healing? But so is man. Man is foolish and vile and venomous and man is beneath God. I mean, the disparity is so great, it's tough to even comprehend the difference between man and God. And you would almost say, God, you can't become man. But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna take on that humiliating process. And even more than that, I am going to allow myself to be put up on a pole by sinful men. And I am gonna become the divine mediator. Why? Because if I don't do this, everyone dies. If I don't do this, the bite of sin never goes away. There's only suffering, there's only sickness, and there's only shame. And that's what the enemy wants in his plan. Paul tells us, that God, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was as far away from the bite of the serpent as you could possibly get. He was perfection personified, grace personified, love personified, and yet he said, I will take on not just the form of man, I will take on all of the sin of all of humanity on myself. And, and, and he's brutalized and beaten. That's why Isaiah said in the beginning, he will be high and lifted up and his likeness won't even be like a man. He'll be so beaten that people will look at him and say, was that ever a man? Because see, that's what sin actually looks like. It is vile beyond. You know, it's almost like I can't look at that serpent. That's the thing that bit me. Like, I can't even look at that. How can I look at that? That's, 
That's the issue. Man's the issue. And Jesus says, but I'll become the, the issue. And even more than that, I'll take on all of your issues. And not just in the general sense, like, you know, sin. No, no, your specific sin. I'll take it on. I'll place it on myself. And what does it look like? Oh, it's horrifying. People had a hard time even looking at the cross. People had a hard time even saying, how could this be? How could this be salvation? And I think it's, it's a beautiful thing because salvation is so simple. The instructions that Moses gives to the people, they're the same instructions to us. Look on him and live. Look and live. It's all it takes that the cross is still wide open and available to us. But I think the temptation that we have many times is, is to look away, especially when we need him most. Like, like maybe I'll put it this way. Like when we're freshly bitten, that's usually the time we want to avoid the cross that reminds us of the bite. When we're freshly bitten like Adam, do you remember he, he ran from the presence of the, of, of the Lord? He ignored the voice of the Lord and he hid himself away from God's presence and covered himself. That's what we do. When we're freshly bitten, we avoid, we move away, we turn away. But, but all the while, what Moses is saying and what Jesus is saying is do not look down when you're bitten. Don't become obsessed with the sin and focus on the sin. Don't look around at anyone else. They can't save you. Not even Moses can save you. You have to look at the thing, the thing that should be your death. And salvation will come from that. When Jesus invites us to look at the cross, he's saying, contemplate, that is your sin that put me here. Remember the specific things, the failures, the mistakes, all of that, but, but don't avoid it. Because that's, that's our temptation, is to say, you know what, I can't go there. I can't remember what I did, I, I can't remember the past. It was, it was horrible, it's sad, I've moved on. I can't go there. Hear me, acknowledgement is the first, it's the first step of salvation. You've got to acknowledge, not avoid. You've got to confess, not be silent. And then you've got to look on the cross and receive salvation. That's the process that God has made available to you and me. Because I, I have to tell you, church, I've seen many, many people uh, make mistakes and screw up, and, and I've seen this impetus in our lives, is the moment that we do, we say, you know what, I can't confront it, I can't deal with it this sin, whatever it is, it's lust or greed, it's the bite of sin. And, and so what happens is people move away from the cross, they move away from church. They move away from anyone that will tell them, hey, confess and look, look, look. They move away and, and they'll, they'll, their world gets smaller and smaller. They, they, work, they work on their car in the garage because, because they can't look on their mistakes and their failures. Their marriage is fa falling apart and, and, and their business and their, their they, you know, fraud and embezzlement, all this stuff. And, 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 and they have to say, I can't acknowledge that it's my sin that got me here. So I just have to harden up in pride and not look at anything else. And that's what the enemy loves. That's what the enemy loves. He says, that's right. Get your world smaller and smaller. But, but the Lord says, look up, look to the cross, come back into the presence get around the people. Here's the beautiful thing. No matter where you were in the camp, wherever you looked, you could see that pole with that serpent. And when you looked, you were redeemed. Jesus said, for God so loved the whole world 
that God came and he, he was lifted up and it was because of his love that he offers redemption to us. All you have to do is look at the cross. And I don't just mean this for salvation one time. I mean as many times as your bit, look at the cross. As many times as you fail, look at the cross. This is a daily discipline. This is a monthly uh, uh, part of your, your, your method. This has to be who you are and what you do that you continually look to Jesus. And can I, can I encourage you, when you look at the cross, eventually you're gonna see beyond just the mere image of your sin. That's the first thing you see. You see the serpent. That's the first thing you see, for sure. You see the sin that put Jesus on the cross. But if you look longer at the cross, you're gonna see some more things, like, like the fact that God had a plan all along, like that this cross didn't just get there by accident. That God said, no, no, I am gonna redeem you. That when you look longer at the cross, you see a mediator. That, that sinful men put this cross up and a beautiful God hangs there for our place. The longer you look at the cross, you see God's love and forgiveness. Forgive them for they know not what they do. The, the longer you look at the cross, you see grace, forgiveness. You do see judgment, but the judgment was taken on itself. And, and, and just like the people looked at the, at the pole and they saw the snake, but it wasn't really a snake, you know? It was greater than the snake. It was a bronze snake. It was something else, and it brought healing. So when you look on the cross, you see, you see the man. You see Jesus the man, but he's so much more than a man. He's God. He's greater. And he has the power and the ability to bring healing. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me, in him, will have eternal life. The antidote of salvation is found on the cross. Where the enemy wants to bring death, God wants to bring life. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.